This is Bill Taub, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. This is Gray, and I'm here with writer, producer, educator, author, Bill Taub. How are you doing, Bill? I'm doing fine. Welcome to La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. And, and uh, it is such a pleasure. I mean, of course, we, we got together in Toronto, and now we're here in Los Angeles, and, uh, and it's just so exciting to finally have you on the podcast. You were in the Comic-Con panel, and you are great there, but you just had snippets, and today we get a whole hour with you, which is great. Wow. Comic-Con was a great experience. You did a great job. You Thanks. really did. Yeah, very cool. And, uh, and so just to recap for people who maybe haven't seen that Comic-Con panel, um, which, and by the way, everybody, you can go to YouTube and check it out. It was great. But uh, um, you've been in television since 1975, one hit after another, both drama and comedy, which is actually quite unique. Um, you won a WGA award for the 101 Best Written TV Series, including Barney Miller in Hill Street Blues. Several pilots you wrote went to series. And the, the shows you wrote weren't small shows. They were household names. Um, and I'm going to embarrass you maybe you with a really few of them. Are. You really are. I can't run from some of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'll mention some of the highlights. And, and I mean, this back in four network days where yeah. I, I remember, I mean, our whole family sitting around and watching these. I mean, Barney Miller, Chips. Heart to Heart, Hill oh Street God. Blues, Magnum P.I., Newhart, The Fall Guy, Dallas, Cagney and Lacey, um, and then getting into pilots, Friday the 13th, the series, which went three seasons, the pilot for Dark Shadows, um, the pilot for The Odyssey, which went three seasons, then Kung Fu The Legend Continues, the, the pilot for Mission Genesis, and then the pilot for Relic Hunter, which went three seasons. I mean, you have produced... I don't know how many hundreds of hours of television. It was it, it was a team effort, I must say. It, but yeah, I, I've, when you're around 35 years or whatever it is, I've been very fortunate. Very cool. And and you've kept busy since then. You've you've sold other pilots. You've produced a web series. You've been active as an author and as an educator, um, and including your most recent book, which is a book on pilot writing called Automatic Pilot, which is available on Kindle in print and now even an audiobook. You got it. Wow. I just heard it the other day, and it sounds good because it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, but I think the greatest benefit is that you've always considered yourself a student of the medium. And, and I know that even as you talk in your book about your advertising days and when you first um, even grew up and you were already analyzing Variety magazine. Mm, right. and, and, and that, I think, is important because you can be through three or four decades and just kind of ride it like a roller coaster. Right. But that's not you, is it? No. I, the one thing I have in common with you is we love television. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a teenager, you know, and I went to the high school of performing arts and stuff like that, I would keep graphs of ratings for the three networks. I would keep folders of the ratings for the various networks and stuff like that. I just loved the glamour of television. A, a great day out for me would be to go up to Rockefeller Center and visit NBC. Nothing could be more glamorous than that. And I had not changed much since then. I was, I'm really not a movie person. Um, I've always been television. And suddenly, television has caught up with me because there's never been a better time to be in television. I mean, I know that from my teaching days and stuff like that, screenplay writing is always favored, and television is always like the stepchild, and I'd always have to fight for it. Uh, not these days. Mm. Well, tell me a little bit more, a little bit more about that, because I know. I mean, I, I went to film school in the early 90s, and at that point, television was like a afterthought. I mean, a lot of the biggest schools didn't even have TV programs. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's a question because it was such a smaller medium in terms of, as you said, you had four networks and syndication, and it wasn't as global. You know, technology has made it global where anybody can do anything from anywhere, which is how I teach, and I teach online. Um, but it seemed that the thing to be in, the prestige thing to be in, was movies. You know, write a screenplay, get a movie made. I still, I mean, to this day, I have friends of mine who, you know, I keep encouraging them to go into television, go into television, and no, that's sort of like, you know, it's, it's a step down from the good stuff. And when I look at movies, it doesn't look like a step down. Um, so it's been that way, and even my experience with UCLA, and I'll have to say that UCLA has been very good to me in letting me 
do what I want to do, but if they have like a screenplay competition, which sometimes I judge the screenplays of, it I had to encourage them to also include television. Wow. You know, I mean, because it just wasn't, you know, top of the mind. It's all about screenplays. Wow. And, and you've, you've been through some amazing years of television. Now, I, mean, I mean, of course, the last 10, 15 years, people are calling it the golden age, especially because of, I mean, from the Sopranos onward, a lot of really bold shows on cable and things like that. But, I mean, the, the shows in the 70s, 80s, I mean, some amazing writing in, in those days. They were fun. And, I, and, I, and a lot of things that I did by being both comedy and drama, I used to love to do the dramedy shows, you know, the Magnum, the Simon Sinai, that kind of a thing. And quite frankly, those that type of show that was in the 80s and stuff like that where you had these dramedies, I see right now all reinvented on the USA Network with Suits and Burn Notice and all that. Those are the same kind of shows that they're just going back to. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that form. Yeah. Um, so for sure, and fragmentation has helped a lot. As a mm -hmm. matter of fact, I saw a statistic. I don't know if you saw it just recently, and this might date this, but uh, where ten years ago cable had twenty-nine original series, and today they have one hundred and forty-four. Oh my goodness! I mean, a lot of work. It is. It's a lot of work. A lot, and of, work. A lot of opportunity. Well, never been a better time to be a writer. Yep. Amazing, amazing stuff. And and. And so in, in some respects, there's actually an advantage to the fact that uh, there's so many feature writers that aren't considering television. <laughs> yeah, well, it's sort of like uh, when I started teaching pilot writing, you know, and stuff like that, uh, people would say to me, why are you doing this? You're creating 15 competitors, you know, and, yeah. stuff, you know, and I go like, well, you know, if they can do it, let them do it. Yeah, well, it, and, and odds are, especially with so many new players on the market, like we're talking Netflix and MSN right. and, and, and Amazon and, right. and all of these new right. players getting into the digital world, how do you see that affecting the industry? Oh, in terms of writing? Mm -hmm. Oh, it all starts with the writing. So I think it's terrific. And this is why when, you know, when writers, you know, talk to me about how dismal the employment is and how dismal this situation is, I say, well, you really have to do the things that are going to get you hired. You know, mm -hmm. it's not the day and age when, you, you know, you have an agent and you just wait for your agent to call you, we got you something or something like that. That doesn't happen. You have to do the work and the networking uh, that puts you in the circle to get hired for these things. And as was, is being said now, all these places that need product, they're having to look beyond the A-listers because they're going to call about an A-lister and say, he's lined up for the next three years. Mm -hmm. So they have to go to the B, C, D level, all right? And, and get them involved. And I just think that's exciting. I, you know, like I wish I was 25 now. <laughs> Very cool. And, uh, and so what do you see in terms of the difference with how pilots are, are pitched, written, and sold today versus even 15 years ago? Well, the very fact that they're accept and encouraging writers to sit down and write their own pilots as opposed to pitching them. I mean, I, I was in the day when you pitched pilots a lot. And that, you know, even just to be allowed into the room was an honor, mm. you know. I mean, it's sort of like, you, you know, you, you achieved something, let alone if you got anything sold or bought or made or anything like that. These, day and days, these days, and, and I think it starts with, you know, the, I call it the, the cherry effect, when Mark Cherry did Desperate Housewives, which saved uh, ABC, which was in desperate shape, and they took a chance with this spec pilot which went through evolutions, but it, it got made and saved the network. Now, all of a sudden, any writer can sit down and write a spec pilot and not go through the nightmare of development. They get, as, as, as people say, they get first crack at it. Hmm. You can always bring in the A-lister later to rewrite you, to do whatever it is, but your vision comes first. Yeah. And I think that's exciting. And if you like to write, write what you want to see. Yeah. Well, and in, in, in this is interesting because when you when you compare it to the days when um, the 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 networks would take the, these pitches and the only pilots that would get written were the ones they commissioned, which might be maybe I, I heard a number of maybe thirty or so that they might commission per network per season. Now every writer is writing pilots. You'd think that that was going to generate a ton of material to choose from. That we'd see all kinds of fresh original shows on the air. Do you see that happening? Do you think that's going to happen? Well, I see that happening in certainly in certain regards. If we're talking about the four major networks, um, 
they pretty much like to work with the people they want to work with. It covers their bases. It, you know, it's sort of like, you know, hey, we got Steven Spielberg. The show didn't work. It's not my fault. Right. You know, where if they get Bill Taub, the show doesn't work. It's their job. Um, so I see the majors doing that, but much more so in cable. I mean, there's, there's, there's example after example of where, where writers have been given a shot, you know, by writing the, their spec vision or whatever it might be, because they don't have to write to anything that conforms to anything. Hmm. I mean, the desire now is to find that thing that's different, you know, find that homeland, find that Americans. You know, I, I know that one of the projects that I'm working on now and one of my pilots is, is a political thriller, and I couldn't get a hearing on a political thriller until Homeland made it. Hmm. When Homeland made it, now they go, oh, remember that UN thing you were talking to us about? Uh, let's talk about that again. Yeah. You know, it needed that to set the, 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 to open up the doors. Hmm. Now, now you do stress a lot in your, in your, in your book, in, in your teaching, about how important this originality is. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yes, yes, I really, uh, it, it's like, it's, even if I analyze, and it gets back to the thing that I, as being the student of television that, that we talked about, um, the shows that will succeed, or the shows that have succeeded, or the shows that I like best, are those that are totally unique. Hmm. That they've, 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 whether it be Seinfeld, you know, or, or West Wing, or something, they've, they've, it, they've been done by people like David Kelly, who have their own voice that they've never been heard from before, and all of a sudden you have a totally unique sound, a totally unique look, a totally unique style, and those are the ones that I love, and those are the ones that break through, and those are the ones that'll give you a better shot, particularly if you're not known. To sit down and try and duplicate law and order is not going to get you anywhere. They don't need you for that. They have plenty of people who can duplicate law and order. And even if I look at the genre shows, such as a law and order where you have, you know, numbers and I don't even know what else, every one of them has a unique element. Hmm. They're not the same. One of them, they solve crimes by math, or one of them solves crimes because he's got a photographic memory, or one of them can read your face, or one of them can read your... And that's the uniqueness that you hone in on and hopefully will drive your whole series and make it, uh, you know, a catchphrase. Hmm. Now, is there, um, is there a limitation in that? I, in, in the sense of, especially the big networks don't tend to, they're not known for being so inventive. Right. Um, and, uh, and so if you're pitching to the networks, is there a difference that, between that and pitching to cable? Well, I mean, if you're going in for a pitch, first of all, you're limited by what that network wants. I mean, every network, and that's one of the things, all these channels now and all these, these distribution platforms are trying to brand themselves differently from the other, just like we're talking about being unique. They're mm -hmm. all trying to be unique from each other. So if I'm going in to pitch ABC or if I'm going in to pitch FX, or I'm going, uh, that makes me have to say, okay, what is FX looking for? I can't walk in with anything I want to do, mm. all right? Whereas I'm saying if I sit down and write everything I want to do or anything I want to do, then I can figure out where would it best fit. Mm. So I come at it the other way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now just say, for instance, if somebody just loves USA Network. Right. Then, then I know, and I know in your book you say don't chase the market. Um, don't write to what you think the market is looking for. But in that case, like if I just knew that that was the type, I sh type of show I loved. Absolutely. Then. But you're starting with the type of show you love. Mm. You know, what you're doing is saying, like I was talking about before, that, you know, all those shows from the 80s, the Magnums, the Simon and Simons, all those fun shows that, that, that we loved or that I loved, um, you know, that's the type of show I, I, I love to write. Relic Hunter, I consider in that, in, in that mold. Um, and if USA likes that type of show, I'm going to write that type of show and I know I could try to bring it to USA. Mm. All right? Yeah. But it's not saying that, what is USA like? Let me sit down and see if I can write it. Yeah. You know. Now, I've heard it say that, especially in terms of, of writing a script that'll get you on staff. Right. So not just writing, writing one right. that you want to produce, but, but I've, I've heard some educators say you want to write something that's just extreme and bold, like the next Game of Thrones or something. Um, whereas whereas I, don't, I know in your book, you, you mentioned about how if you want to write for a certain genre, you should try to kind of stay in that wheelhouse. Right. That, that, that's got nothing to do with being bold or anything. That What I'm saying is, and I think you, you mentioned it in your introduction of me, if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't be the jack-of-all-trades that I, I've become. 
or that I started out, I think that did me a disservice. Mm -hmm. I think I know it comes from my advertising days where, where you go work, and I was on the creative side of advertising at big agencies in New York, and I hated the fact that you got typed. You know, you were a car writer, or you mm. were a perfume writer, or you were, you know, a financial writer. I'd say, nonsense. You know, I can write commercials, and I'm going to write for all of them, all different types. And so what they had, at, certainly at J. Walter Thompson, which helped me a lot, is they set up a little creative troubleshooting unit, which I became a part of. Mm -hmm. And we went around to all the accounts that were in trouble. Yeah. That allowed me to do the different kinds of accounts that I never would have had. And the same thing was true of television. I didn't want to be labeled as a, you know, a sitcom writer, you know, if I like writing dramedies, or I didn't want to be, be labeled a dramedy writer if I like writing political thrillers. That didn't serve me well. Mm. I would have been better off had I said, you know what, let me establish myself in sitcoms, or let me establish myself in hours, all right? Then I can worry about branching out. So I, I, in, in essence, in, in analyzing my own career, I have to say I think I did myself a disservice by going that route. Mm. Mm. Very, very smart. And, and now a lot of people do have that feeling when they're starting out that, that they don't want to be in a box. I, I know um, uh, I interviewed uh, Bob DeRosa and, and he had some things to say about that, um, about uh, like where you can feel when you're starting out like you're limited by this definition of you. But, but if you want to work, um, you want to be able to make it easy for your agent to sell you. Is that, is that what we're talking about here? Well, I mean, everything has changed so much um, that I don't even think you need an agent to sell you these days. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always view what an agent does as gravy mm -hmm. because the agencies these days are so competitive that basically what they're going to do is sit around and field phone calls for the writers that people call up about, mm -hmm. all right, which ain't going to be you or me. Um, and so I feel with the internet and with the networking, and certainly if you're local in Los Angeles or New York or Toronto, one of the major markets where they are, you know, have writing staffs and teams and stuff like that, you can intermingle and you can get to know those people. And if you write a pilot, say, um, I wouldn't worry about bringing it to a network. You know, I would see if I could get a director involved. I would see if I could get an actor involved. I would see if I could get a producer involved. And these days, you can do that on your own. Mm. You don't need an agent to do that for you. Um, and by the same token, I think this allows you to have the freedom to write what you want. You're mm. not chasing the market. By the time you figure out what the market is, it's changed. I know we, I talk about this with somebody else, where this particular season, ABC, suddenly started doing and buying all these new shows that are, their element is diversity. Mm. You know, whether it be blackish or whatever they're calling it, or Indian or something like that. Yeah. They suddenly have gone in the diversity direction. Now, I couldn't have predicted that. Yeah. I couldn't have predicted that six months. I couldn't have predicted that three months ago. Yeah. All right. So if I'm chasing ABC, I, I've I've come up a zero. Hmm. Yeah. Very very cool. Well, it, we we've um, dabbled in this conversation about talking about pilots, but you do have a book called Automatic Pilot, and <laughs> uh, and we definitely do want to talk about that. And and I I should mention that um, as as I. Uh, we were just talking about before this podcast that, that before your book, there was only one book on I pilot didn't know writing. that. You pointed that out to me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and as I read your book, it really struck me about how your approach is, is pretty radically different than, than um, William Rabkin's book, which is an excellent book. But, uh, but you really take some bold stances and you, you attack myths and, and things like that. And, and, and I, I really respect that you're coming at it from a completely different direction. Um, tell me about why, why you wanted to write this book how, and how it came about. Well, uh, the book, as I say, is basically my UCLA workshop on steroids. Um, I think starting in 2005 or about that, when I found out I could do a course online, because I, I did teach it on campus a long time ago, but I could never commit to teaching on campus, and they wanted me to because I'd be on location somewhere. So it always, and I said, no, I'd rather say no than have to cancel. Mm -hmm. But when somebody suggested um, doing a course online, a friend of mine, I called up UCLA and said, look, could I do a course online? That I could do. I could do that from anywhere. I'd, mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, and they said, fine, do you want to do your episodic TV writing course again? Because I was teaching episodic TV writing. And I thought about it, and I said, no, um, my, I don't really think that takes best advantage of the, the Internet. Mm. And we're going to be on the Internet, and we're going to be global. And I don't think it's fair to expect somebody in Italy or wherever it is to worry about knowing you know, Lost or knowing whatever it is that's current 
in the US market. I said, but I would like to teach a course on pilot writing and gear it towards whoever participates, whatever students are, to write for their own market, write for their own culture, write for their own you know, nationality, um, and develop their own you know, kind of voice for their market and not worry about Hollywood. And so they said, fine, do that. So I developed the pilot course uh, over 10 weeks, which literally takes, uh, I threw away the concept, which happens a lot, where you separate drama from uh, comedy in, in, in universities or, or courses. And I said, look, this is all about process. We have to go through the same steps in the process, whether we're doing a drama or doing a comedy or doing an animated show. Whether we're, doing, whether we're writing about the KGB or the CIA or MI6, I have to go through the same process, the same steps. So I said, I want my course to be all-inclusive because it's all about process. And you, like I said, UCI has been very good to me. They've let me do what I want to do rather than stick to a syllabus that they had. Mm -hmm. And I've now done the same thing with my web series course that I just developed. And so I did that. And it took from coming up with the idea right through a completed script in 10 weeks, a rough draft of a completed script in 10 weeks, you know, which some people say was like too much, you know, I should have split it in two. I said, no, I think 10 weeks is enough to come up with an idea and rush through a draft, a vomit draft as we call it, you know, so that you now have something to work on. Mm -hmm. And they let me do that. And along the way, a lot of the students were online. I had to write everything out in text form because it was online. So all the lectures were in text form and they'd run 15, 20 pages. And they said, they, they, they suggested I put it in book form. Mm. And they said, look, we'd love to have this as a book. And I said, well, you can download it and print it out. And they said, no, we really want a book. <laughs> and, and you know what? I, 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 the lazy part of me said, I don't want to put it in book form. I don't want to deal with agents. I don't want to deal with managers. I don't want to deal with editors. I don't want to deal with publishers. I'm not going to get rich off of it or anything like that. I said, I don't want to do it. Mm. All right. And then, through a friend of mine, the concept of self-publishing, just like online, came up. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, self-publishing, I could do that. So that way, all I do is just write it and send it to the marketplace. Mm. All right? So that's how it came about. And that's, it took me about a couple of years to like, get it all together. And it just came out, I think, in March or April of, of this year, 2014. Mm. Very, very cool. And, and uh, how's the response been so far? The response has been exactly what you said. Uh, people are going like, wow, this is like so different than the other books, you know, or anything like that. Now, I didn't, again, I wrote it for me, mm. you know. I mean, even as I tell in the book, I said, I themed it as automatic pilot so it'd be more fun for me to write. Mm. You know, I said, it's, it's, it's a pilot's checklist, you know. I mean, a pilot writer's checklist. So that's how the, that whole theme came about. And I did that because I was trying to be a little bit more clever for myself, mm. you know, rather than being a dry textbook. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so let's, let's get into some of the things that, that you teach in the book. And, and we'll, we'll cover especially the, the things that um, are sort of unique to your philosophy or your approach. And um, I, I do want to mention that some of these questions will repeat things that we talked about in the Comic-Con panel. Fine. But, of course, the Comic-Con panel, we literally, I, I gave really, really strict instructions. One-minute answers only. One minute. Yeah. <laughs> and we so, rushed through them. <laughs> yeah, we rushed through them. So, so I don't want to rush through these. And, okay. and so please feel like you can give even more detail if it's appropriate. Okay. Okay. But um, so why do you think that we should throw rules out the window? Well, because again, going back to the people that I admire the most, um, like I said, whether it be Larry David or David Kelly or, or David Mish or David Sh Milcher or David Shore, I think these are people who just throw convention out the window. And those are the people that I loved. And certainly, if you're a no-name writer or a semi-no-name writer, I think the best chance you have, and it's true of anything, it's not just writing, is, is to be different from everybody else. If you're going to be the same as everybody else or, or follow the patterns that have been set or live inside that box that's been created, you're just going to wind up on a pile of other stuff that's the same. Whereas all of a sudden you come in with pink paper or whatever it is they tell you not to come in with, you're noticed. Hmm. You're noticed. And so I say, forget the rules. Forget, I mean, the three-act structure. The, the, you know, we're now dealing with seven acts in, 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 in some hour shows. Uh, how do you write that? I mean, what do you do? I mean, 
I've, I've worked with enough different people, executive producers and stuff like that over the course of my career, they've given me different ideas of how to go about things. There isn't just one right way. Mm. So I suggest you as a writer, and hopefully that you've written some stuff, and I'm not suggesting you write a pilot as the first thing you ever write, mm. um, you have seen enough movies, you've seen enough television, you've been inundated with all the, all the cinematic tools or whatever it might be, or the comedy it is, by osmosis, if nothing else, you know what you like. Mm. You know what you don't like. Go for it. Mm. Will it be the best one you ever write? Hopefully not. You know, you'll write the tenth one you write might be the the best one you ever write, or the the, the one that gets sold. But you got to go through those nine to get to that tenth one. Mm. So I suggest don't bother your head at this point with the rules. You know, the dramaturgy rules. You know, by such and such a page, or such and such of this, or three act structure. I mean. Write what, write what comes next. You know, mm. you can always go back and edit. All right? But be unique. Be yourself. Nobody else can do that but you. Yeah. Very cool. And, and, uh, and I think one, one big part of that is, is showing your voice. And that's what everybody wants to see. They, right. they want your voice so they can know whether you're going to fit within the culture right. of their show, the, or whether you're going right. to fit with the writing of the show. Talk about how your philosophy um, exploits that. Yeah. My philosophy exploits that, and, and I got to be honest, I mean, you know, when I first heard these things from other people, we want to hear your voice, I go like, I don't know what my voice is. You know, what is my voice? I'm not sure I know what it is. I don't know that I can define it. But what I've learned is you can define it after the fact. Mm. You know, if I sit down and I write uh, Archer, say, you know, for, for an animated series, and I write it just because this is what I think is funny, and this is what I want to do, and all, all of a sudden, I can look at it and go, oh, that's my voice, mm. right? I'm not trying to formulate, formula, make it into a formula. I'm just trying to say, let me do what I want to do. Mm. And when we look back on it, I think you're going to see a common thread, and I do. Yeah, and, and that, that ties in really nicely with one, one of the, the basic, ba most basic tenets of your philosophy is you want to write what you see as compared to write what you know, which we've heard a lot in the past. Talk right. about that. Yeah. Um, first of all, I, I have to give full credit to the write what you want to see slogan to Robert Town, who I, we first came across that at a WGA uh, event that was honoring the 101 or whatever it is, best screenplays, and Robert Town was up there. And his, in his acceptance speech, he gave a big, long analogy, which I won't go into. It's in the book. And he said, I think as writers, we're losing our vision. And I think that because of looking at the marketplace, we're losing what we want to see. So let's just sit down and write what we want to see. We're the first link in the chain. And we, the writers I was sitting with, we all looked at each other and said, bingo. That should be our t-shirts. Write what you want to see. Because um, what you want to see will be different than what I want to see. All right. But with fragmentation and getting back to the marketplace, there's so much diversity that I promise you that whatever it is you think you want to see, there are going to be others who want to see something like it, and there will be a market for it. And these days, it doesn't have to be a huge market. I mean, a show like Mad Men doesn't get near the numbers to make it exist on a major network, all right? But there's a market for it, all right? And the same thing with FX and Showtime and all of them. So write what you want to see. What you know might be a subcategory of that. And if you want to write what you know, you want to write about your family or write about whatever it is that's around you, that's fine. But you don't need to, you know, strap yourself into just that construct. Hmm. In, in, in specifically talking about um, generating pilots, um, what, what are some of the places that, that you go? I mean, you've, you've created a ton of different shows over, over the years um, and, and sold a bunch of pilots. A lot of them went to series. Where, where do you, what's the well that you go to, to, to look for ideas for, for these? Do you start with a character? Do you start with, what, what do you start with? Well, no, I, I actually start for, there, there are a couple of ways this is, in my own career, it's come about. Um, one is that I get brought in to write a pilot, which is nothing that I started, and that happened with Friday the 13th, and that happened, matter of fact, Dark Shadows, which I co-wrote uh, the pilot on, the one in the 90s, um, uh, interestingly enough, I was into NBC to pitch a series that I wanted to do, 
that I really was passionate about. And when they realized I did Friday the 13th, uh, the development executive said to me, he said, I don't want to talk about your pilot. How would you like to be on Dark Shadows? You know, because I'd done Friday the 13th. And I, I'm not going to say no, you know, but that's not why I was there. Right? So that happened that way. Uh, for me, it's whatever catches my attention. And, and, and I always look for the high concept. I, always am I do not know how to sit down and write somebody that says, well, we have a family. I don't, I don't know where to go with that. You know? I came out of advertising, and we said that every, every product, and I don't care what product it is, has to have a unique selling proposition. You've got to be able to separate this product from every other product. You know? Even if it's just a soft drink. 7-Up you know? is the Uncola, whatever. Um, so that there's a uniqueness about it. You know, that, you know, that captures the imagination, or hopefully will capture the marketplace. And if people don't care about that uniqueness, then you're dead in the water anyway. Um, and I always said a, a television series or a movie or anything like that needs to be unique. So you need to find that unique element. And that's what attracts me. You know, like it could be a, a true story that I read in a newspaper. Uh, I have a feature now that, that's going around that's also a, a pilot for a series that was something I read about somebody who couldn't get a job and came up with a very unique concept of how to, how to get work. I don't want to talk about it, but I mean, the thing is, that said, oh, I said, that's clever, you know? So that's what I look for. What is the uniqueness? And in my book, to, go, to parallel that unique selling proposition concept, I created what I call the IOU, which I start with, you know, even before I think of characters. I start with, what is my unique premise? I don't want to start with a character. Hmm. You know, I say, what's your big idea? Where did it come from? What's the origin of it? Because that might explain your passion for it. You hmm. know, I had a crazy uncle, or I read about this, this, this alien who was living next door, or whatever it might be, and that's what attracted me to it. And then what makes it unique? And even if I say I'm sitting down to write a detective series, I can't say that. I'm sitting down to write a series about an uh, uh, obsessive, compulsive detective, you know, who, who turns out to be Monk, you know. Uh, I have to start there. So I have to start with that uniqueness. And then I say, in that uniqueness, who are my characters? Mm -hmm. I, I, they could be any number of choices. I always love to give myself choices, but I have to start with that unique element. Hmm. And, and one, of, one of the things I love about the IOU, and actually this, this, was, this really helped my writing, re reading your book, was uh, I, I actually had a pilot that I had been writing and I had gotten way off track. And, and it, it had kind of fizzled out because I went in the wrong direction. And, and when I read about that IOU, what it, what it really taught me is how important that origin is. And so I, I went back and I looked at my idea and I said, let me, let me try to think back to why I, wrote, I wanted to right. write this. When, when I got that, that actually informed right. the writing and got me back right. on track. Exactly. It, 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 it reminds you of why you were passionate about it. Mm. Very, very cool. And, and so let, let, let's talk about, um, then the next thing is definitely at, at, the, at the core of a television series, if it's going to go to series, is that um, it can't be? It can't just be an awesome pilot. And, and I'm actually amazed how many shows go to air just because the pilot is is a, a compelling one hour, and they don't have legs. What what is it that take? What does it take for a show to have legs? Well, I mean, I think you're getting back to your concept stage. I mean you should be able to sit down and take a look at a concept. And a lot of times I think shows get on the air because they save jobs. Hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know what goes on behind those closed doors. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily think shows get picked on merit. You know, it could be who's involved, what's the deal involved. So, I mean, that's a whole different game, all right? Hmm. Um, and as a writer, don't even, don't even contemplate that game. Hmm. Not at the beginning. Yeah. You know, as a writer, the first thing you want to do is have fun writing what you want to see. Mm. Um, the, the merit concept doesn't enter into it. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, what was the question? Well, the, the, the question was um, just at the core of... Well, actually, what I was getting at was um, what's the difference between... A legs? Uh, it, wait, yeah, say, say yeah. what makes a show go yeah. 80 or 100 episodes? Yeah. Well... First of all, you come up with an idea that's broad enough to be 
that that you know you can say, oh my God, I can I can see uh, you know a dozen episodes out of this thing. Mm -hmm. And if you have a concept, and I, and I can just throw out a couple, uh, there was a, a show I think a couple seasons ago about a couple who had a newborn baby. Mm -hmm. I think it was called Up All Night or something like that. Yeah. Now I could sit there. If somebody tells me that concept. I said that's great. That's a that's a you know that's a movie of the week. Mm -hmm. You know. How am I going to get 60, 50, 40 episodes out of a couple who has a, you know, a newborn? Mm -hmm. All right. Unless it's a bait and switch kind of a thing, which I think The Good Wife did really well. They hooked you in on that whole, you know, uh, corrupt attorney general thing, and he got, you know, and, he, and she needed to find a way to make a living, and suddenly she's a lawyer. Mm -hmm. But that's not where it started. Right. It got they got hooked in by that that high concept, you know, uh, New York, you know, uh, attorney general thing. So, yeah, you can bait and switch, but you can't stick with it. I mean, shows like Revolution, you go like, you know, well, how long can I run this show? Hmm. You know, whereas if you come up with, with an idea, and it could be any number of ideas, like, you know, a comedian, where does he get his material from? Uh, the White House. Uh, or, you know, well, I can get 80 episodes out of that, you know, and you should be able to recognize that from your concept. Um, just like I say in the concept stage, and I, and I make them go through the choices, of how they want to execute their concept, hmm. you know. I mean, I could, as I say, I mean, any idea can be executed any way. Modern Family, as I point out, could have been a soap opera, you know. So give yourself the choices and say, okay, once I have my unique concept, how do I want to execute it? It might be animated. Oh, that could be a good idea. But think of them all. Hmm. And then when I have my characters, I go for my characters. What kind of characters do I want? Oh, um, I want to have. Uh, one gay couple and one older, younger marriage, and then one contemporary marriage with kids and everything else like that. You say, okay, all right. Do you want them to be the same race? Uh, and you just, I just say, go through all the options. And the more options I give myself, the more I can see the longevity of this series. Mm -hmm. and, and that's actually one, one of the things that I, I really love about um, your, your books that really got into the practicals of how to get the freshest of anything, which, which is that, that don't just take what's on the page, but come up with two more and then pick them. Right. Tell me about this rule of threes rule in, of threes. in, in yeah. idea creation. That, that came, I, I must say, my very first job when I had no idea, I came out from advertising and I, I knew Hal Linden because I used him for voiceovers in commercials. And he was doing this series called Barney Miller, which was actually my sensibility, the New York comedy sensibility. Um, I said, I I'd like to do, you know, he said, write some spec scripts, I'll get them to the producer. And that's how I got in. Um, Danny Arnold, who was, the, he's, he's gone now, but he was the one who was, to me, the cleverest teacher I could ever have asked for. And he kept saying, okay, I heard what you said, I got your idea, just know that the ideas that, that spring into your head are the ones that are closest to the surface. If you really want to see, is that the best idea, you've got to dig deeper. And the deeper you dig and come up with another idea after that first one and then another one, and he said, you can stop at three. You could keep going if you want. He said, and you'll see that a lot of times those deeper ideas are better than that first idea that comes into your head. So go for three. You could always come back to that first one. You know what you have. But give yourself that kind of choice and those kind of options. And what I've come to realize is that's true for every element you go through. You know, if I'm picking a location to set my series in, like I say, yeah, I could set it in Los Angeles, I could set it in New York, I could do it, you know, but everything's set in Los Angeles and New York, or Toronto that looks like New York. I said, but what if I said I want to set it in Philadelphia? Hmm. Or what if I said I want to set it in Houston? All right? Every element go down there and say, give me so three choices of where I can set this, and then pick the one that's the most unique and cleverest. Hmm. And, th and that actually includes the, the actual idea for the pilot itself. You, you say, yes. don't stop at one, come up right. with two more pilot ideas, right. and then pick. Right, because uh, quite frankly, you never want to be, you know, what they say, you know, have one shot in your, you know, one bullet in your gun. Uh, you want to be able to be a writer who can come up with material. I mean, if you're working on staff or somewhere, working on episodes, you have to come up with episode after episode after episode. You can't say, I came up with a good one, that's it. 
Mm. All right. So I'm saying, and I see it a lot with my students. They come in, they say, I know exactly what I write. I've been trying to write this popular. This is what I write, I write in the class. I said, and I say, look, this is my course now. <laughs> so you're, 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 you're on my ride. Uh, you can always come back to this one. And I'm not saying don't come back to this one. I said, but for just as an exercise, I want you to think of two others. All right. Things you haven't even thought about. So, but I want you to think of two others that interest you. And invariably, I would have to say, 50% of them who came in with that one idea picked one of the other ones. Wow. Wow. Very cool. And, and, and I love the fact that that's about everything, about the characters, about it just that, it, that not being locked into what first goes on the page, but to be open to the possibilities. Right. When you're going through the process, and that's why I say it's process, it's just you. Nobody has to see it. Nobody has to know how stupid you are. Nobody has to know what mistakes you make or what doesn't work or what comes out badly. All right. Therefore, keep your mind as open as you possibly can. All right. Even to the very fact that, you know what? You thought it was going to be an hour. You came in writing an hour. How would that work as a sitcom? Mm -hmm. You know, because it's all about execution at that point. Yeah. All right. And sometimes they go, you know what? You're right. It works better as a half hour. Yeah. But you have to be open to that kind of exploration. Hmm. And, and I should mention, as, as we're talking about uh, having it unique and, and we're talking about how um, it, it's got to be different, not all of us are going to be Aaron Sorkin either. Um, and, and one of the things I, I love about your book is, is um, you, you talked about how it doesn't have to be high art. Um, explain that a little bit. Well, uh, I'm, I'm a perfect example of it. Uh, the thing is, I, I'm saying you're absolutely right. I mean, if, if what you like, you know, if what you like, you know, is, is, is doing a show about pranks, you know, or whatever it might be, or, or Judd Apatow stuff, or, or, or silly farce, or, or, you know, teenage humor, or whatever it might be, um, and, and you want to do something that's ridiculous, and it can run as a series, do it. I mean, if you want to do Monty Python, do it. Uh, whatever appeals to you, you don't have to do, you know, the Aaron Sorkins of the world. Not that you could, but I'm saying you don't have to do that, you know, unless you want to. Go for whatever it is that appeals to you. It could be silly and crass and dirty, and it'll do very well. Very, very cool. And, and, uh, and um, another thing that's kind of related to that is, is you address people, and I, I hear this a lot, actually, um, especially because of the podcast, there's a lot of people who are, are sort of wannabe writers who, who listen to the, to the podcast. And they, they say, I want to make television better. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> well, uh, you want to make television what you want to see. You know, if what you want to see is on television, by definition, it's better. I think where that comes from is I, I have students who, would, when I was teaching my episodic writing class, uh, which was about doing, mimicking what, what, what a series does, which is a totally different process than being unique and original to your own series, um, I had one student walk in, and, and I would ask them, you know, I, you know, I say, why are you taking this class, and all those kind of stuff, and we decided that it was going to be like, well, we want to learn how to mimic what's being done, so that we don't come in and, you know, try and reinvent the wheel or do it the way we want to do it. And the one student walked in late, and I asked him, you know, why did you want to take this class? And he said, I want to make television better. And the entire class said to him, he said, you're in the wrong class. Hmm. Because if you're, doing, if you're doing a certain sh kind of show, you need to duplicate that show. I don't care what it is. Hmm. I don't care if it's, you know, if, if it's Lost, if it's, if it's Modern Family, if it's Big Bang Theory. You're not coming in to do it your way. You're coming in to try and analyze it and duplicate what they've done. Hmm. So, so, so that then specifically relates to, to sample episodes of existing shows, whereas for a pilot, your goal is to be unique. But I think one thing that might relate to that is, um, is production restraints. Um, how important do you think it is in writing this pilot to be aware of, like, like when, when somebody reads your pilot and you have 53 locations and you've got 26 characters and, and all of that kind of thing, um, is that a problem? Y yes, it's a huge problem. I mean, uh, but my philosophy is that I don't, at, at that first stage that nobody's going to see, all right, and you're writing 53 locations and 26 characters, get it all out there. Because from that, I'm going to say pick six, 
And unless you have the 26, you don't know which six you want. All right. So I'm saying that first go-through, that first development, that first pass, you want it, go for it. You know, it's sort of like, this is your wish list. Hmm. All right? But that's not what you're sending out. Right. What you're sending out is something that's been now gone through and saying, you know what? Do I need all 26? I mean, can I get it down to six? I mean, I have an office with six, you know, an office setting. It's got eight characters. Do I need all eight characters? Are they main characters? Or are these two my main characters? All right? And that's what you then hone it down to. And just like the same, do I need to move here from the police station to the, to the site of the murder, to, the, to the, you know, the prison or anything like that? Or can all this take place uh, in the courtroom hmm. you know, or something like that? So that I'm now saying, look, I understand that every time I put something on a page, it costs money. Hmm. As I tell my students, the only thing that doesn't cost money is great characters. You know, a great character doesn't cost you a dime more than a bland one. Hmm. And, and so um, what, one of the things I do love is, is you talk a lot about through this process, especially in that first draft, being open to play. And, and, uh, and, um, and so talking about um, in, in, before you get to that draft, um, plotting out the, the outline, the A, then B, the, the C right. stories, you actually mentioned um, uh, specifically with characters, um, before you get to even that stage, putting them on a spreadsheet. Um, tell, tell me a little bit about that. Well, yes, it wasn't so much a spreadsheet, but it's putting them out. I, and I, and th this was taught to me by one of the first uh, writers I worked with on staff on a show that thankfully you didn't mention. It was called Freebie and the Bean. Um, I think IMDB hasn't caught up with that one yet. Uh, he used to, which I, I really found great, when he would be developing a, an episode, he wouldn't give his characters names. He would, he would label them by what role they played in, in, in his story. Like he would have uh, uh, the, the sex pot or the narcissist or, you know, the kleptomaniac or, you know, the absentee father, you know, or something like that. So that would always keep in mind, again, the uniqueness of that character, which is what you really want to focus on and how it related to the rest of the characters. Hmm. And if he, if all of a sudden, and I say this, all of a sudden you say, you know what, I've got two sex pots. Why do I have two sex pots? You know, or, or I have a senior citizen. And then you can start, you know, combining them. Say, what if I had a senior citizen sex pot? All of a sudden that character takes on a whole different dimension. Hmm. Um, so that's the way he would do it and put it on, on, on not so much spreadsheets, but lay them out so he could see them and how they related to each other, hmm. and if they didn't, they were gone. Yeah, and that, that actually is a, a very um, practical tool, I found, in terms of when, when you're creating a pilot, um, building in different layers of conflict between all of your right. characters, um, because it, it just makes scenes happen. Like, like if you take that senior citizen sex pot or whatever, right. and then you just drop them into a scene with the narcissist, Right. All of a sudden, you've got a scene, and, and right. it just creates itself. Exactly. Whereas if I called it Barbara and John, I wouldn't know where I am. Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. And, and so once you have these characters, and, and you start making these, these, uh, these A, B, and C stories, um, tell, tell me about how you, you plot them out. Right. Well, uh, okay, there, there are two points in there. One is... I make the distinction, I don't know, between story and plotting. Mm -hmm. I don't know, we, we discussed that a little bit. Um, whereas for myself, and these aren't, these are terms I just, you know, made up for myself to give a differentiation. To me, I want to be clear on the story I'm going to tell. That's the first thing I want to do. Mm -hmm. All right. So I just want to lay out chronologically, mm -hmm. you know, my story, you know. So-and-so died, and so-and-so inherited this, and so-and-so got this, and so-and-so got that. All right. That's my story. All right. When it comes to plotting for what, I'm, what I want my episode to be, um, that's exactly how I want to tell it in a cinematic way. Hmm. I might not want to start with somebody dying and in, in, in inheriting money. I might want to start with the person who inherited money is now running a large company. Uh, and then flashback to when somebody died and, and they inherited the money or they got married or whatever. That's my plotting, hmm. all right? The way I'm going to do it in a cinematic way in my script. 
but I need to be clear on my story first, mm. all right? And for myself, I just have to go, you know, chronologically from beginning to end, this is my story, mm. all right? In terms of the A, B, and C structure, what, what I learned, and this was something I learned from Hill Street, was if I try to interweave the A, B, and C story as I'm constructing it, I'm going to be, like, so confused, all right? I just take them separately, you know? My A story is going to be the crime story, all right? And then here it is from beginning to end, and my B story is going to be about Ferrillo, you know, his mother dying or whatever it is, and that's going to be from beginning to end, and my C story is going to be some other character or some other dynamic happening at the police station or whatever it might be, and I might have a runner if I need anything extra running through it, like the air conditioning broke down, you know, and it's got no real story to it, it's just the air conditioning, which affects everything, hmm. all right? All right, and then when I come to plot it out, and construct it, that's when I start interweaving. And I say, you know what? All right, I'm going to have these beats of the A story. I think now is where we can drop in a beat from the B story. All right? And then I do that, and now we can drop in the C story. You know, Because what might happen is I might have many more beats in my A story mm -hmm. than I do in my B or C story. Yep. So I can't just do one, 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 one. I'm, it's a math thing. Mm -hmm. All right? So I might see, like, wow, my A story is so much more extensive. I need to do three A story beats before I can go to a B story beat. Yeah. You know, or something like that. So that's the way I do it to keep my sanity. I just keep them structured separately. And then I can also say I can interchange them. You know, I say, you know what, the B story from this other episode would work better hmm. than the B story I have in this episode. Yeah. You know, so it just makes it easier. Yeah. And, and, and speaking about these A, B, and C stories, I actually was just analyzing um, some shows this week, and, and I was surprised to find that uh, the, w the one that I was looking at, it was Arrow um, on the CW. <laughs> friend of mine's on that show. Yeah, yeah. and uh, um, yeah. I love the show. Yeah. But I was surprised to find that there was an A, B, C, D, and E story in the episode. Way up to E. Right. And, and it told them all really well. Um, and, and I was able to see how, okay, this is, this is how they, they laid out these, these and they, they're really smart about it. Like they might have one bigger scene where you actually hit each of the, right. the stories within that one kind of party scene. Right. Um, but for a pilot, you've got to be a lot simpler than that, especially with, with um, being able to um, lay out the premise of the series and also do what you call a prototypical episode. Right. Tell me a little bit about that. Right. Um, the prototypical episode or, or the pilot that I, that I encourage and that I do myself is what I call a hybrid. All right. There's a lot of confusion in the industry itself about what is a pilot. Um, there is what we call the premise pilot, which sets up the premise of the whole series. It introduces you to the characters. As a matter of fact, an example I use, I think it was called Outsourced, where a guy mm -hmm. was working at a company and the company got downsized and he lost his job and it was a tech company and he couldn't find work and he winds up transferring to India to work. Mm -hmm. right? And that's where the pilot ended. Okay, and I go, well, that's a good, that's a premise pilot, I know, but I have no idea what the series is. Hmm. You know, the real series is really about what's this guy doing in India? Yeah. And what's going to happen with those characters, all right? So it's like the series started when the pilot ended. Yeah. All right? Whereas a premise pilot, if I would have done that as a premise pilot, I would have very quickly had him lose his job, go to India. You mean sort of the, uh, the prototype? The, the prototype, yeah. I'm sorry, the prototype pilot. And, and he'd lose his job, he'd go in India, and the bulk of the thing about what happens in India. Now I have an idea of what my series is going to be. Right? Hmm. So I, I say to the students, or I, and for myself, I say, do as little as you can of the setup or the premise. I mean, I'm not saying don't do any. You're going to have to do some because you're not pitching this. People aren't going to know how these people got together. Just know that everything you do is premise. I mean, I don't care how long it takes. It's probably going to come down to a minute and a half montage behind opening credits. And then you're going to be into your episode. So write the prototypical episode so we have an idea of what you envision for the next 60 episodes mm. all right so that's important in the term of, of in specific i don't know what the pilot of arrow was <clears throat> but i think in a b c d and e story and I, that, that's startling but i mean I, you know I, I go like if that's what you want your series to be or if that might be something they grew into mm -hmm. all right that's a different thing um, then that's what you would do in your pilot, 
you know. But I have a feeling they did. I, I have a feeling that might be something that they grew into. Yeah, they grew into that. They grew into that. Then they started out with an A, B, and C story, and then as people got more comfortable with the series and knew what it was about and everything like that, then they said, "Oh, we could add another one." Mm -hmm. I mean, I look at the, the revolutionary structure of Seinfeld. I mean, I lo I, I marvel at what they fit into 22 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. Nobody ever. Uh, who could? And it was per it was perfect. But they fit so much information and so much content into that 22 minutes that it. Everybody now is, you know, looking at it and saying, "Oh, we can do it." Mm. And, and there's actually there's there's a lot to that. It, it just it brings to mind how many series when you watch the ratings, how they they come out of the gate with extremely high ratings, and the second week there's this huge drop, mm. or the third week. And and I really believe a lot of that is these premise pilots, where the premise is so high concept, it gets people watching that first episode, but then people have no idea where it's going to go. Right. Uh, and I think that, that that's true. That's why I don't, you know, every time I read about the, you know, the, the first week's ratings or premiere ratings, I just dismiss them. Mm -hmm. I, just, I ignore them because they're not the important ones to me. I think also what happens, and again, this is just theory, um, is that networks or production companies spent a, a lot of money on the pilot. I remember the pilot for Dark Shadows, I think, I heard anywhere from five to ten million dollars hmm. for the pilot of Dark Shadows. The episodes aren't going to cost that much. Yeah. The episodes aren't going to be that extravagant. The episodes aren't going to be that polished and highly produced. They can't be. All right. So there's a distinct difference. Um, whether an audience catches on to that or not, I don't know. But I know that the pilot is really, you know, needs to be representative. Hmm. Mm, very very cool. And uh, um, so. Going, we're going to start to wrap things up in a little bit, but um, one of the things that, uh, that I love about you is that you're extremely positive. Um, and that it's, it's interesting to me because I do meet a lot of people who have been in the industry for a long time and they get really jaded. Totally. And, and so tell me about, I mean... I give my wife credit for that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, but you're, you really act as kind of a cheerleader. Even in your book, you can just feel right. it. You're, you're urging people on. Motivator. Yeah, t tell yeah. me about that a bit. Yeah. And I do. I did, I, I, honest to God, I, I got that from my wife, who was a guidance counselor and a Canadian. Mm -hmm. um, I met in Toronto when I was doing Kung Fu. Um, it is very easy that I think you're experiencing now, and, and, and I don't know the names in particular. If you immerse yourself in this town of La La Land, it's very easy to be very negative, mm -hmm. very easy to be very jaded, very easy to be very down, depressed, all that kind of stuff. It's that kind of environment, all right? If you let yourself, mm. all right? What I've tried to do is not surround myself with people like that because it's easy to emulate. Mm. It's easy to fall into that pattern. And I know when I met my wife who was like, you know, Miss Sunshine, that helped turn my whole attitude around, all right? And I enjoyed myself much better. Mm. I enjoyed my environment much better. And I enjoyed the people I hang around with much better. That's one of the things that attracted me to you. Mm. I mean, maybe because you weren't in this town. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the thing is that you were such a bundle of positive energy. And, you know, and like I came across you on Facebook, you know, like when you were, you know, doing your podcasts and then you're, you're coming to the States and Los Angeles and the, the big dream. And I, when I was in Toronto, I said, look, I'd love to meet this guy. If there's any way I can help him with this transition, he's got the attitude, you know, don't lose it, you mm. know, don't lose it. Let me see if I can, you know, help keep it going a little bit further. So it really is um, something that you need to work at and it can become part of you mm. after a while. But really, you need to not, it's like, it's like always watching the news, you know, it's like, don't, don't, don't watch the news all the time. <laughs> don't surround yourself with negative people all the time. There are positive ones around and your work will be better. Mm. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I think that's, that's actually an excellent, excellent thing to emulate for people because I think people can get so stressed about their writing and then it's, it's almost like a bowler who, who gets, I, I mean, this happened to me in bowling where the, the more I stress about the bowling, the worse I play, the more right. I relax and ease into it and just have fun, right. the better the bowling game is. Absolutely right. And that's the beauty of writing for yourself. I say there is no stress in writing for yourself because if there is stress in writing for yourself, don't do it. Mm. You know, I mean, if you are tortured by writing, 
why are you doing it? You know, unless you're talking about an assignment or something like that. But if you're writing for yourself, and that's the beauty of it, it should be fun. I mean, you're going to have good days, bad days, whatever it is. It's all part of it, you know. Uh, but it should be like fun. Hmm. Very cool. And, and that actually leads me into um, what are the reasons you see, I mean, you, you have worked with a lot of different uh, students and, and you've seen people, uh, a lot of wannabe writers. What do you see are the things that make them fail versus the ones who succeed? Uh, I would have to say, and I think this is something that comes through a lot of your, your uh, podcasts, perseverance mm. is very important. Um, I think, and again, it's something that I wish I had been good at earlier, um, relationships, mm -hmm. right? And I don't want to say this too harshly, but these are not businesses of geniuses, mm. okay? These are pretty average folk, myself included, who learned a craft, or become good at a craft, or endeared themselves to the, to the right people and wound up getting jobs on these shows. But you know, again, there is an Aaron Sorkin and there is a Larry David and there is that. And fortunately, there are only five of them and we'd all be out of work, <laughs> right? Um, and you can do it. You can do it. But you must do the work and network. Do the work and network. Um, and that was going to be my, my last question would, would be, oh. if you were to boil it all down, <laughs> what does it take to break in and make it as a TV writer? And is that it? That's it. Do the work and network. Now, if you do those two things, all right. I mean, you can't do one without the other. Um, it might take you six weeks to do the right kind of networking. It might take you six months, you know. But it really is about relationships and having the work to show. Hmm. Um, and like I said, it doesn't have to be genius work. It just has to be something that appeals to somebody. Hmm. And as we said before, there is so much opportunity now. There is so many platforms now. There are so many series that are, are staffing up now that I got to believe if you can do the work and you can network, you'll eventually be able to get somewhere and then be nice on staff. <laughs> <laughs> and then be nice. So you keep your job. Yeah. yeah. Be nice. Don't, don't be a diva. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, well, we will end it here, but on the topic of, of, do, of networking, um, people can follow you on Twitter at Billy Taub. Yeah. Yeah, believe it or not, I tried to get Bill Taub and somebody had it, and his name isn't even Bill Taub. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah. so it's a Billy Taub. Yeah, B yeah at right. Billy Taub. And, and, and I would highly, highly recommend Automatic Pilot. It's available on Amazon. Um, and, and for a while, I'm not sure if it's, it's all the time, but if you buy the print book, you get the Kindle book for free. Yeah, you get the ebook for free, yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, let me say, because I don't know where you, this screens, that I don't think that's in Canada. Mm. I think oh, only in the states. I probably. think that's only on .dot com. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I personally, I, and I love Kindle books, but uh, I think there's a tremendous value to having the, the, the print. I, I agree. I agree. And now having done it, you know, I, this is my first. I agree. I mean, one of the advantages to the Kindle book that I built in and that you build into, into your books that are coming out, which mm -hmm. I think are going to be terrific, is on the ebook you can do a lot of hyperlinks. Yeah. Which is fun. Yeah, I actually, I personally, I love ha having both. Like I literally, yeah, oh yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the Kindle book and yeah. I'll buy the print yeah. books so, because and, each has their advantages. And I know people who love, and now Amazon's got the thing, they like the audio book because evidently with Amazon now, like if you, you stop the audio book at a certain point, you can pick it, it'll pick it up in the in, in e-book the e at, at mm. that point or whatever it is and back and forth. And there are people who say, I like having it to drive in my car or I had some person tell me they have dyslexia, so they like having yeah. the audio book. So yeah, it's out and it's coming out and it's being translated into Spanish and in Italian. So, uh, you know, it's all coming out in the fall. Que bueno. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks so much, Bill. Uh, this has been awesome, and I really pre you, uh, appreciate you not just sharing your wisdom today, but I appreciate the, the fact that you, after having all of these experiences, are, are going back down the elevator and helping other people to, to, to break in as yeah. well. Well, and it also helps me. Mm -hmm. I always said I, I have learned so much by teaching, mm. you know, and I'm sure you relate to that. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it helps me. Very cool. Well, thanks so much, Bill. My pleasure. Okay. I'm proud to announce my first book, Breaking Into TV Writing, which has been holding as the number one best-selling TV writing ebook at Amazon.com. Buy it now for only $2.99. More are on the way, including my second book, How to Write a Spec Pilot. Watch for it soon. 
Visit tvwriterpodcast.com for details about my books, as well as tons of resources, including a TV Writer Twitter database with over a thousand writers, links to hundreds of free TV scripts, including pilots and show Bibles, and lots more. You can find the audio-only versions of this podcast through the Script Magazine iTunes feed. You can find the video version at plenty of places, including blip.tv, YouTube, scriptmag.com, and of course, at the main website at tvwriterpodcast.com. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle. I want to thank this week's sponsors. Total Training. Thousands of hours of online training at totaltraining.com. Rode Microphones at roadmic.com. Indie System, affordable U.S.-made camera support gear at indiesystem.com. Red Giant, software effects plugins at redgiant.com. Elgato, makers of ITV computer-based DVRs at elgato.com. For information on how you can advertise your product, service, or yourself for as little as $30, visit tvwriterpodcast.com support. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. Music